Hello and welcome to another episode of Pure Happled in Conversation. I am Victoria Bentley and I am really excited to have five new partners joining me today to talk about a topic that has really come to the forefront of all businesses this year. And that topic is equity. So what is it? Is it proportional representation? Is it putting in strict policies? Or is it creating a shift in business culture, creating a space where people feel able to talk freely and there is a willingness by senior people to not only listen, but to take real action? Joining me today to discuss all this and more are new partners, Anna Wendt, Julie Janiski, Amit Deshmukh, Federico Cassani and Matthew Harrison. These fantastic individuals are only one part of a new cohort of partners joining Bureau Happel this year, and you can hear more from our other new partners in two other audio discussions where we talk tech and climate. Welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining me. So my first question to you is a big one. What makes an organisation equitable? And Anna, would you like to kick us off? So I think an equitable organisation is one that doesn't just acknowledge inclusion and diversity and equity, but it's one that actually embeds policies and principles within within its business strategy, but also in the day-to-day running of, of the business. I think an equitable organisation is one that values, um, or makes, sorry, makes its staff feel valued and feel safe and secure and and give everyone a voice and make sure that they have a support network around them and I think in in doing so it's it's about not just the well-being of the individual but the well-being of the organization as a whole and I think also equity is about having proportional representation at all levels of of the business you know kind of um, representing all spectrums of society uh, be it social and ethnic background different genders sexual orientations disabilities and in doing that I think it increases satisfaction and enjoyment for, from the staff you know they feel part of something um, and it leads to better staff retention and, and better productivity but it also fosters open-mindedness and and innovation I think which is essential for organizations in the organization where people don't fear to talk what they feel that that's main important uh, takes care of all other things so as long as people are ready to talk or people people wants to speak and they don't have a fear I just wanted to add to Amit's description and other people are prepared to listen. So when, when there's an organisation where there's a value placed on listening and there are opportunities for people to speak freely as they wish to, which might be in private, right? So, and there's a willingness that, uh, that, that to listen. So, so if someone has something to say, they can reasonably expect to be listened to. Can I add to that, Matthew? I think in addition to the idea of everyone understanding and knowing feeling safe that they're that they will be listened to i think it's in addition to that the idea that things can change based on what we're hearing in the as leaders uh, and based on what everyone's saying as a part of an important part of the company i also have a lot of interest over the coming years to understand and help enact how it will not just be a a symbol of the faces that are in the partnership, but a real shift in terms of the the leadership and our policies and the behavior 
of the leadership. And I think the the biggest part of that is going to be the the engagement of the the existing partners and their willingness to listen and to enact change based on everything that they're hearing. Well, I think one of the most important things about satisfaction, because if you're satisfied, it means the, you, you have access to uh, equitable growth. This is also you know, a way of enjoying your work, because it is fundamental that all poor happened people, employees, you know, from the partners to everyone, enjoy what we're doing because Guru Hapold is, is, is not a brand, it's, it's made of people and we need to value our people and we need to be sure that all our people are in the same position to grow and to enjoy themselves. I think it was really interesting, Julie, what you said, that things can change based on what we are saying. So is it enough to say you're an equitable organisation? Do we have to show real change? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I it's a I think that the the moment to shine for Bureau Happold is right now. There's a, a really significant shift between what the current partnership looks and feels like and who it represents to the next step that we're taking with the new partners who are joining and then in the future the, the additional steps that we'll take. And it's not just about what it looks and feels like, but what it does. And the opportunity that we all have to really shift the way that we're thinking to be able to represent some of the things that, that everybody else on this call is saying, right? And, and Federico, I love your, your notion that the, no, that the idea of an equitable organization is ultimately about an, an equitable opportunity for every staff member, whether it's one of us as a new partner or it's one of our new colleagues joining out of university. Uh, the idea is that they have representation. They know what their career at Bureau Hapold could look like. They know what success could look like, uh, and it's not a it it doesn't it's not as much of a question mark as as maybe it has been in the past. Obviously, we're talking about Bureau Hapold specifically here, but do you think this move to recognise equity as a as a force as a as a, a really vital thing for business. Do you think this is part of a wider industry trend? And what can we do at Bureau Happold to trigger or facilitate or influence change across the whole of our AEC industry? Yeah, so I think I think it is part of a wider trend. I think historically we've we've blamed the fact that there's not enough diversity coming into the industry. And I think that no longer is a valid excuse or response. And so the industry has, has collectively acknowledged that we need to make changes within our um, within our businesses, within the industry as a whole, to, to ensure that we are retaining talent. You know, there are, I think actually that the levels of diversity in education are pretty good. There's definitely improvements that could be made and, and we need to be looking at how we can support encouraging people coming into and studying um, STEM subjects. That it's not just right to be trying to be equitable as an organisation, it's also beneficial for the business and for the people. Like we were saying, that satisfaction, that enjoyment about being at work and, and being uh, valued and feeling a sense of belonging, I think, is is something that um, all 
that the industry generally have have acknowledged and there's incredible support I think the best thing we can do is learn from each other there's no point each business reinventing the wheel you know there are things that work and things that don't and I think what we've been saying in in the conversation so far is that it's not just about making commitments it's about walking that talk as well you know and actually doing things and um, the the Royal Academy of Engineering in the UK has an incredible program diversity and inclusion program where they've got a huge variety of companies together and just gathered learning of, of different policies different training different employee affinity groups counts you know whatever it might be and just looking at the success metrics and how well you know they've done in terms of actually improving the um, inclusive culture within within businesses and I think that's the best thing that we can do is come together and really learn from each other um, rather than sort of go off and try and, and start again. Construction traditionally has been the least innovative of sectors. The only one less innovative has been uh, retail and then if you look at what's happened globally with the COVID Retail's having to reimagine how it's it, it does business. And actually, let's not be surprised that construction also has to reimagine how it does business as a result of, 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 of COVID. And I think we can look forward to, and I mean that genuinely look forward to, a big leap forward in innovative practice in our industry as a direct result of, of the pandemic. And other folks are going to do the same thing. The notion that people will have a, a very staid, or you know, um, predictable week-on-week pattern of working, which was an expectation in 2019. I don't think that's what you know what's in in general conversation now. I think people are expecting somewhat different. So if they're expecting somewhat different from their employer on say working hours and working practices, well, let's not be surprised when they want something different in terms of engagement and equity and the diversity that drives both those two things. Anyone else want to add anything to that? Are you, are, you, are you feeling positive about the future, that, that, that things are going to change? I sit back and think about it, and I don't know that there is anything that's come about in, in light of the pandemic that's actually new. But instead, the pandemic, it feels like it sort of forced everybody's hand. No longer could you ignore, and instead, all of these things were there, and they were times 10, times 100. It was just completely in front of our faces. And it, it's a, it seems like it's more of a time of, of highlighting and underscoring than it is about newness. So the idea of change is not about the pandemic and not about COVID, but it's really about these deep-seated, deep-rooted issues that are now much more clear to many more people than it was before. Uh, and, you know, we have the opportunity to, to really change things. So I think in the in the U.S. market, some of the things that I've seen happen in in terms of I'm looking at the question, uh, what some of the non-obvious things are that we can do, or how we can make the industry more equitable. There's a program called ACE, which is just one example of many programs that are that are geared toward high school students uh, and younger. But this this program is specifically about high school students. So it's it's about thinking about the long game instead of the now. I, I, I believe that Vera Happel is doing that right now with the way that they've established this new co- cohort of partners uh, and the idea that some of us could be around for the next 20 years and that's, that's the long game. 
and I take your point that like now nobody has the excuse and but at the same time I've been in meetings over the past couple years where it's been over two dozen people and I am the only woman in the room and everybody else is a middle-aged white man and it can be really intimidating to be in that position so I think that what the, the other what I've seen that's helped me and what I've experienced that's helped me is to know that there are people in that room who are my advocates, who are my support network. It doesn't need to be another woman. In fact, it sometimes is much more productive when it's not. Uh, and that's, that's the other thing that I, I think I would raise up as an idea is that it's not, this isn't just about a woman becoming a partner and therefore advocating for the other women in the firm. This is a really important moment where everybody has a chance to think about their role and what they can do and understand that they have a voice that they can use for everybody, not just for themselves or for the people who look and think like them. No, I agree. So I'd like to add a practical point on that. So, so the person who organized the meeting with two dozen people, only which one was a woman, should have reorganized the meeting to make sure there was a more equitable mix of people. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, it's as simple as that. And we, should, we, could, we, we could make this just yeah, regular yeah. every day right so we could yeah. make every day that that at every partner and staff event there's always a bit of planning to get a decently diverse and i would say it's more than gender diversity the multiple dimensions of diversity right okay. um, and so we try and keep rolling the the dice to make sure that works and we could just we could just say and this is how it's going to be going forward yeah. I mean, there are questions with that. I mean, sorry to interject, but, you know, Anna was talking earlier about proportional representation. And, you know, another word for that is, is possibly quotas for women, etc. Some people are a bit anti that. Do you think that's the way, you know, you say you're going to refuse a meeting if there are the certain number of women or do you think that's the right way to go about it? I think challenging it, you should challenge it, you know, kind of it's it's not always going to be possible to refuse, you know, kind of the project structure might be such that, you know, there aren't enough other, um, you know, people to to make up diverse representation you want in a meeting, but to just be self-aware enough to challenge it, I think that's what we all need to do and, and have that accountability. Um, and once you start questioning it and raising that voice, then people will start to think about it and you might not get that change that time but the next time hopefully you will because people will think about it one big lesson learned about the pandemic is that we have no excuse anymore not to tackle a series of problems that needs to be tackled and one is, is equity working together i think you know the the the, the big lesson learned is that if you don't work together in a situation like this where the world actually stopped you know, you, you don't go anywhere. And and I think that um, a company like Borohapul, which is, you know, renowned and striving for innovation, should be a champion in promoting, you know, equity, internally and externally. And I agree, uh, you know, we, we, could, we cannot face anymore, you know, a white man Congress. We work in a very global, multicultural situation. And we do that every day. So I think that this is very important and it needs to be embedded in Buraku culture. And I think that this, this round of, uh, of new partners is a great example of this.
you know, we are from everywhere in the world and we represent different continents, different cultures, but we have the same, you know, imprint of, you know, creating a better world. Uh, the India, the challenge becomes, you know, for equality because we have many states, every state has got different languages. And we as a Bureau of Apple work on a pan-India, metro cities mostly, Mumbai, Delhi, Hyderabad. And whenever we go to client meetings, you know, there is a tendency and a habit of people, bunch of people to start in their uh, respective uh, mother tongues or those local languages. It's nothing bad, but to be honest, and I can guarantee that most of the Indians know not more than three to four languages. Even we have 30 plus languages with, available within India. So we are also like, you know, uh, when we go to other states, we are like foreigners or expats in terms of the languages and all. And the challenge comes and then we have to raise our hands and say, guys, please, let's have one communication language, which everybody understands. And then, then start the dialogue. Otherwise, you know, the meetings and those discussions can go anywhere. And, and that's, that's, that's the real challenge when it comes to a country like India to uh, organize. How, and how do you deal with that, Amit? Do you, does everyone just speak English or do they speak? English, English is our yeah. uh, business language. And uh, uh, yeah, that, that we try to stick to English. There are some states like South India where uh, people don't prefer even to uh, speak in English. Uh, but then Hindi is the national language here. But uh, English is most of the, like, it's a preferred language and people are comfortable. And do you think that's right? Do you think that's, that's you know, that's a good thing? Or uh, To be honest, language should not be a barrier. Whichever no. language. It's a, it's a, language is the basically a conduit for communication. And as long as everybody is able to communicate and express their feelings in whichever language, which is a common platform, uh, that is important. Now, knowing the fact of India background and all, if there is one language which is helping us to communicate and that is not helping within India, but which is helping outside the uh, India also, I think there is, because I have I've traveled to other parts of world, especially uh, East Asians and all. And then we really sometimes face challenges when it comes to a language and all. Yeah, so you will have to have that uh, comfort feeling whenever you uh, come across such situations. All right, well, I think we'll move on slightly. What's more important, policies or personal behaviour? I like this question, and I, you're absolutely right. Both are very important. <laughs> to the extent that policies represent the willingness of leadership to be able to institute policy, and, and behaviour is something that works across the entire practice, right? Everybody participates in the question of behavior. And to, to sort of touch on that and also touch on the idea of language that we were just talking about, where it's less about the, uh, the specific dialect of language, or perhaps we could even make that argument that it is, but the idea of having a shared language, particularly around a topic like this, is something that has, has been a huge focus over the past year. Uh, in the US practice, we've had listening sessions We've also had some external training organizations come in, and the goal of those trainings has been to, to try to establish a shared language so that when we talk about how Beer Hoppled is doing, what we can do to move forward, we're all using a common platform 
and we can understand each other and understand what our goals might be and what our shared goals are and therefore what the policy should be, what the behavior wants to be, so on and so forth. And there's been a real, um, there's a lot of emotion around that, as you could imagine. It takes a huge amount of introspection to be willing to learn a new lesson like that and potentially challenge your own current beliefs um, and take a minute, pause, listen to what other people are saying and try to absorb it before reacting to it. So I would say from a behavior point of view, that to me is what stands out as one of the most powerful things that we can do is to listen. And instead of listening in order to react or listening in order to respond, just listen to understand. I'd like to put the case for attitudes. You know, a lot of the work that I've done with the leaders I work with is, is around attitude and the and the behaviors that follow from the attitude. And I think attitudes, we hire on attitudes to, to a certain extent. And over time, as we hire in next generations, the attitudes that prevail in our firm will be mostly the attitudes of the of those next generations. And my belief is, is if you get the attitudes right, and it's a constant thing, you've got to talk about them all the time. Right? Get the attitudes right, then the behaviors are more likely to follow. Occasionally, people will let themselves down. I'm being too blunt here, but they will. And those folks should be challenged for the behaviors if they are out of line with the prevailing attitudes of the firm. Yeah, and the, and as, as Julie said, the, the, the policies are the head mark. The policies describe what we're trying to attain. But they're not how we attain anything, really. We attain it because individuals on the ground work hard on their own belief systems, their own attitudes. They try and propagate positivity when the attitudes of the people that they work with. And they are um, intolerant of their own behavior deficiencies and also respectfully intolerant of the behavior deficiencies of other folks. Okay, Anna, what did, did you have something to add? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to add on to what Julie was saying with you and, and, and Matthew as well in saying that I think that the, the, the policies and the procedures are the baseline. The challenge, I think, is making the incremental changes to the, the behavior is, is quite difficult and what I've really noticed is that it's it's the learnt behaviours and we as leaders have a real responsibility to act as role models in um, embedding the the good behaviour and the inclusive behaviours that, that we want to see in the business. You know I I started Bureau Hapold as a graduate and I've grown up with um, other uh, people who joined with me and I've seen particularly I think in I have to say men because there are more role models or, or easier role models for, for, for men to identify historically in the leadership the behaviors are emulated they start you know behaving like the senior people because that's how they think they, they get ahead and so the responsibility we have as leaders is huge to to make sure that we're exhibiting and creating the, the, the culture that, that we want to. And, and to do that, we have to, as Julie was saying, take a moment to just self-examine and, and make sure that how we are behaving or the decisions we are making are right and be open to our own personal development. We're not perfect. You know, we are imperfect human beings. We're not always going to get it right. And we have to be open to to challenging each other, challenging ourselves and accepting that, that we also need to, to be better and, and there's always ways for us to improve. That's what I was going to say in one of my questions is that, that none of us are without, without fault. How can we avoid becoming complacent and how can we 
sort of retain this sort of lightness of spirit and agility to change. My experience of Bureau Happold is you don't you don't get the moment to do to, to <laughs> think of the graduates we we employ. They're very accustomed to challenging me on just about everything, and that's absolutely fine. And one of the curious things, because I'm a new, newbie, well, fairly you and I are newbies at, in relative terms at Bureau Happel. We didn't arrive as, as grads or anything. And, uh, you know, I was struck by the liberalism at Bureau Happel. It has the ability to, to wait until everybody has spoken. Even if waiting to have everybody to speak might take months, as sometimes it does, right? So there is ingrained, and I think it comes from the Quaker principles of, of the founder, I believe, that's my understanding. But there's this, there's this willingness to, to stop, wait, and listen. So that's fantastic, right? Because, because we're not short of, um, of, you know, empowered younger people who are, feel free to speak their mind. And I'm not saying we're going to leave it to them, right? I'm not saying we've got to absolutely examine ourselves. But if we're, even if we're reasonably adept at listening to other folks, I'm sure they'll remind us of our, um, of our behaviours if they come out of line. And then, you know, once, once you're receptive to that, a little bit of self-reflection, you know, ought to be, you know, much of what you need to reorientate one's behaviours. Federico or Amit, have you got anything to add? In the pandemic, when it started last June, uh, when we were working remotely, a couple of senior engineers were avoiding to take grads uh, on their projects. And I was just wondering that somehow there is a you know uh, lot of requirement for the staff, but a certain category of people are on a bench. So is there any reason? So then I was when I was inquiring more in depth, came to know that because those grads uh, ask too many questions or they challenge so people do not want it to uh, you know uh, a lot of hassles and all and, and and then i was just wondering what kind of excuse this not to take you know the younger or new people on a team just because they challenge you and they give you a hard time and and that was that that was it and then okay it was a sessions of series which we'll have to take with not juniors, but mostly with seniors that, yes, you need to absorb people. They are at their age, they are at different uh, mindset and you need to nurture them uh, for their future. It is not only for their future, but it is for the Bureau of World future because you cannot suppress uh, somebody's thoughts on it. So that was one uh, good uh, example which uh, Came, uh, I came across. Well, I think we're slightly running out of time, so we're just going to go on to the last question, which is the most important, perhaps, that you know, all of you are now new partners at Bureau Happold. How do you see your work changing, and are you excited about about the change, and, and what, what is what is the change that you're going to make? Um, Federico, should we start with you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the change, and uh, and I think that the new role is, is even more important than before uh, because, you know, of this means, you know, talking about policy and behavior uh, is, you know, we need to lead in the behavioral side and we need to uh, be champion of these changes. And, and I think that, you know, Buro Happel uh, needs our young people because as as uh, as we were saying before, you know, when when you are in the, your twenties, you are revolutionary. When you 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 get in age, you start being conservative. So we need 
to be revolutionary. We need to keep doing the innovative thinking. And, and therefore, in our role of partners, we need to listen to our young generations and young people because we are planning for the world of the future. We, you know, most of the work that I'm doing, uh, I have a 20 year span that probably I will not see or, or I will see in a limited way uh, when they're going to be fully built. Uh, but they will lead this world and, and they need you know, we need their creative thinking and we need to nurture them and mentor them to become the partner of the future. Fantastic. Okay, Julie, over to you. What are you excited about in your new role as partner, Julie Janinski? Uh, so I would say I'm both excited and very nervous uh, to, to take on the role where I know that I am representing diversity within the partnership. That I, you know, I am. I, it's I'm part of a growing partnership in the U.S. Uh, I'm American. I am a woman. It, it there is an enormous sense of felt pressure around that and responsibility. And I think that while I'm, I, I acknowledge I am definitely nervous about that. I'm also really excited about the opportunity of what that means. Uh, for myself, in addition to everybody at Bureau Happold and within our industry, to understand how you know we can use representation to help make change, um, but also it you know really deliver on the idea of what that means, which for me means I am the one in the seat at the partnership table, uh, and I have the platform to be able to represent not just Americans and not just women, but the idea of. Uh, inclusivity, the idea of equity, and it's also really exciting to me that I can already tell that I it doesn't feel like it will be my job to do that, but that the partnership at large, uh, those in the minority and those in the majority, are working really hard to figure out how they can contribute as well. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity that I have, as well as the collaboration with everybody else in the partnership. Great. Okay. Uh, Matthew, you're next on my screen. Uh, are you excited about your new role? Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited. I, 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 my, my trajectory to it is different maybe from other people. So Bureau Happel is my ninth employer. I was a director somewhere else before I came here. So I'm sort of coming from a slightly, slightly different set, set of backgrounds. I think one of the curious things about Bureau Happel, when I, when I, but, um, it is a very unusual organisation, I would say. It's n it's nothing like anywhere else I've ever been. But one of the one of the curious things I think I detected was a, a slight otherness between the staff and the partners. I guess it's because it's a pretty large firm that's privately owned. I guess that happened. I guess that happened. But there was a certain degree of of otherness, and and that that's been picked up. For example, in the staff engagement survey, it's been quite clear that there has been a degree of otherness. And, and I don't think that's necessary. And, and I'd like to play my part in perhaps, you know, demystifying it and, you know, being a little bit more inclusive in the way that we describe how the, how the firm is performing, actually, and where the firm is going, partly because that's where, where we want to take it, the firm wants to take it, but also partly because, you know, we're a small boat uh, that's just being thrown about on a pretty rough sea at the moment. Amit, are you excited about your new role and what will you change or do the same? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Uh, see, there are two uh, 
sides of the partnership one is external which is uh, we take care of our clients and internal uh, our staff i'm not really worried about external because uh, i'm dealing with those uh, client portfolios and all uh, from almost last decade so that's not an issue issue is i will not say issue issue uh, the challenge is uh, internal because when as matthew was saying when you become partner and you there should not be any gap between your relations between those employees and you and that has to be as clear as possible and and, and that that is the thing which i will uh, look positively and forward that uh, the, there will not be any changes into the relationships and all and you will still share a, a beer with them in the evening you know weekend evenings and they will they will they should not hesitate to call you great okay thank you and last but very much not least anna yeah, it's incredibly exciting and, and to have spent my whole career at Vera Happold and to now be part of the leadership and ownership of this of the company is just amazing. Um, and I think it's, you know, Matthew was saying it's a really special place and I'm really looking forward to being that voice and representation for my team and 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 making sure that they have that connectivity and opportunity to 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 be part of the direction and the future of 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 bureau hathold and um being part of that change that i've always wanted to see in the practice you know having been here for for my entire career now it's um it's yeah it's very empowering and i in turn want to make sure that i'm empowering others to to develop into you know the leaders that the business needs, and and to take the the company forward from strength to strength, as it has been done by the the current partnership and and other leaders in the business. Okay, thank you. I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you to you all for your insight. And if anyone has any questions or comments on the topics raised here, feel free to contact my guests here at Bureau Happold. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to listen to our deep dives into tech and climate in our other partner discussions. I am Victoria Bentley. This was Bureau Happled in Conversation. And until next time, goodbye.